Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I'm just paying my rent every day in the Tower of Song. Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au, five on your AM dial. And remember, Radical Australia is podcast. Just in case you have existential angst, this is the way to get rid of it. Good afternoon, Empress. How are you? Not too bad, Joe. How are you? Good. We have a special guest, but we won't mention him yet because there's a little person has crept into the <laughs> studio doing a school project. Does he look suspiciously like Titian, yeah. formerly of 3CR? Does it look like him? It does. It's still of 3CR as far as I know. Is he? Mm. Oh, but he doesn't get paid anymore, does he? He's just a volunteer. <laughs> like like the rest us. Of us. <laughs> yes, he's not paid staff. Well, we won't bother about him now. Les, forget about him. Our special guest today is... Les Thomas. Thank you very much for having me in. But Les, forget about him. He's not there. The camera is not rolling. (laughs) He's not in your face, okay? Now, Les, this is an interesting program. And uh, look, I have met you before in this life, not a former life which is unusual with the guests we have here. So I, I know a little bit about you, about 0.2% about your life. Mm. And uh, I'm really upset because we have another musician in the studio. Could you imagine right. that? We welcome musicians, don't we, Joe? No. <laughs> Joe doesn't. The Taliban and Cromwell were right. The rest oh. of you were wrong. So <laughs> we have another war, musician. If it's pigs, got, it's okay, though. Uh, yeah, we've we got Liquor Snatch Lady. We've got Liquor Snatch Lady here. And we've yeah. got Liz Thomas. I don't know. I don't think Tishan's a musician. He doesn't look like one. He doesn't even smell like one. But he can dance. Can he? Or he can dance. Prince Bruce. Now, Les, this is all about you, not about us. And we crap on for the first few minutes just to keep listeners on the line because they say, Les, Les, don't you mean Leslie Thomas? Is that your real name? That's the name that my mum uses when I'm in trouble. Uh, (laughs) Is that the name on your birth certificate? Yes, it is. Leslie. Yes, it's... uh, <clears throat> yeah, Leslie Norman Marshall Thomas, because we had two sides of the family to appease, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and the middle name stakes. Uh-huh. But my family's one that recycles names, uh-huh. so I'm named after my uncle. Uh, Which one? 
Les O'Rourke. Les so. O'Rourke, yeah. Good. Leslie, Norman, Marshall. Marshall Norman. Norman Marshall Thomas is the full name. Just the type yeah. of names we need for cat and fodder in a war. That's just the name. Funny it's, you should say that, Jerry. Exactly. Well, we won't go there. We'll go there later on. Look, <laughs> I know a few things. I know nothing about you, but I do know about Australian history. I'll pretend I do. Now, we only ask two questions. Two questions. Mm-hmm. One, what year were you born? 1975. Oh, another youthful musician. Save me. Dale, save me. Mm. I'm, I'm the old lady here. <laughs> Two musicians in the studio. I don't know how I'm going to cope. It's pretty tough. Yeah. Did you say 74? 75, actually. 75. So before well, or after the dismissal were you born? I was born before the dismissal. Uh-huh. I was born in January. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I believe on the day of my, the day of the dismissal, my mum was driving me around in the Holden. Uh-huh. Looking uh, for a protest. On, <laughs> on the back seat. Yeah. Just thinking, okay, the revolution's about to start. Exactly. Um, where? You know, where do we go from yeah, here? Yeah, that's right. But um, what am I going to do with poor little Leslie in the back there? Yeah. Not that my parents were really far left or, or that engaged. I mean, my dad was a secretary in the teachers' union. Well, uh, excuse I mean, excuse me, a secretary was, in the teachers' uh, sorry, union so in 1975. So yeah, his branch, branch. secretary. Oh, that's 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 that Which is was, engaged. Uh, William, that is engaged. Yeah, Williamstown uh, Trade School. What, what's your dad's name? Ian. Is he still with us? He is still with us. Uh, retired or? Yeah, well and truly retired. He was the uh, one teacher in Williamstown Tech who was still willing to dish out corporal punishment until it was abolished. <laughs> Well, nothing wrong with the so, man. No, I had my fair share of corporal punishment at school, yeah. and it made me the man I am. And a lot of people say, that's the problem. Well, I, I do love my dad dearly, but, yeah, yeah he's of another age. Well, we're all of another age. Yes, we well, are. We're all of another age. We can't yeah. We bear people. the scars of another age, too. Uh, did he Did he like to uh, continue? Oh, no, I shouldn't embarrass you, but um, did he have the same attitude in the family life? Oh, absolutely. Uh, good, good, so, good. You know, <laughs> it wouldn't yeah. be fair just to dole out the whip to some of the boys. Yes, yes. You had to do it evenly and fairly. How many of how many boys were there in the family? Just the two of us. You? My older brother, who's 18 months older than me. What's his name? But you wouldn't know it going by his height. Yeah. Well, so, uh, what Jack, age has got something to do with height? Um, That's new to me. <laughs> true, true. Once you get past a certain point, it's irrelevant. But... um. Yeah, what, Jack, you, Jack is my older brother. And you lorded over him as a kid, I assume, because you were taller? Um, no, I only started doing that when I caught up with him, really. Right. <laughs> so, you know. So where? And what's your mum's name? Uh, Patsy. And she's still with us? She is. And uh, so, she's yeah. retired too? Or? She is retired now. Mm-hmm. She grew up in Rathdown Street, Carlton, where mm-hmm. her parents ran the hardware store, right. O'Rourke Hardware. Mm-hmm. That's where the O'Rourke comes from. Yep. All right. God, I'm smart. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think a deep thinker. So, Les, what's your earliest memory? What's the first thing you remember as a young little whippersnapper? My first memory would have been uh, having my finger jammed mm-hmm. in an enormous sliding door mm-hmm. at the, uh, uh, what's it called? The Kent Street Gardens mm. in, in North Carlton. Was this discipline or just an accident? 
be accident. I can see why you asked, but it was actually an accident at the time, or they told me so. Um, but from memory, the kindergarten were being taken out on a date to the zoo, but uh-huh. guess who missed out on that? And you did. I've never been the same since. You then. went to the Royal no. Children's instead. Well, yeah. I, <laughs> some basic uh, first aid was in order. Uh-huh. But, um, uh-huh. yeah. Do you still bear the scars? I think it's those... Uh, traumatic things that are often the first memories that people have pain or pleasure but yeah Yeah. i I went to kindergarten in north carlton while living as a child in williamstown so what because of the hardware store yeah my mum worked in the city Mm -hmm. and she'd drop me off with her uh, mother Mm -hmm. you know the one the one who always wore the apron did the um give you the mint as soon as you get out of the car kind of grandmother and whizzy dizzy if it was a good day sort of thing so Yeah. Yeah. yeah i remember that that sort of real village feeling of Carlton. Um, so it was a very strongly Irish, Italian and Jewish area. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was the kind of place where, you know, Arnold Zabel was my uncle's best mate and he'd write yeah. poetry in the shop and all that right, sort of thing. Right. So there weren't many million-dollar houses in those days? No, not no, at all. No. So that there was, was the outdoor dunny and, um, yeah, the basics. Mm. So what was kindergarten like? Well, I used to spend all my time next to a bookshelf in kinder. Next to a bookshelf. I did. So well, you've been disciplined again. <laughs> uh, I was reading from age two. And, Excuse uh, me. Let's go back a step. You were reading or you're pretending to read? Well, I was told that I was reading. Uh, and well, I don't remember well, Dick not and reading. Dora. Yeah, quite possibly. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah. You, are, you are allowed to have a drink and we can, we, I, can, we, can, we can kind of, if you've got a dry mouth and we can fill up, me and Dale, we can fill. Yeah. And so, can come in if it gets really boring. So so the bookcase was basically, mm. yeah, just, uh, the, the retreat, because yeah. I actually couldn't communicate verbally at that young age. What a two, but you could read. Um, I was fixated with books. Fixated? Yeah, and drawing. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. yeah. So you're the little nerd sitting in the corner, reading and drawing. Yeah, I was a little nerd. I also yeah. had to kind of, um, yeah, stand up for myself a lot, because, yeah, I copped a lot of bullying as a result of not being able to speak. Uh-huh. And how long did that last for, the fact that you couldn't speak? Um, I, I had speech therapy through the early years of primary school until mm-hmm. grade three at, le- at and, least. And what did that entail, speech therapy? It, it involved weekly uh, visits to a therapist, mm-hmm. practicing my R's, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, being able to pronounce rabbit, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. You do it very well. So, very successfully. Yeah. It, it, it was... It's like me, I can't say free. It was a reason in the schoolyard to basically, yeah, be Isolate. singled out. Mm. And also, yeah. I so think so that, what, why, why do you think you had uh, these speech issues? Was, was there a physical issue or what do you think it was psychological? Um, well, I was told that um, a scan showed that the, there were very few nerve connections between my brain and my tongue. Uh-huh. So that had to be developed over so time. So it was a physical issue. So you, you yeah. develop late, as they say. Yeah. So how did you cope? Uh, so where did you go to school, primary school? Williamstown North. So you went to Williamstown North. So. Yes, which was a very, very Anglo mm-hmm. environment. Mm-hmm. Um, only a couple of migrant background kids. Um, and, you know, it was the luck of the draw on who your teacher was any right. given year. Some yeah. of them were incredible, some of them not so great. Mm. Going back to your issues with speech and the fact that you had to suffer through primary school till year three before you caught up, um, did you form any association with other kids who were marginalised in the school? Or 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, tell us about it. Um, well, I guess at that period of time, um, a lot of the uh, Southern European kids, Greek kids, Italians, would be the would bear the brunt of schoolyard abuse, and I think my speech impediment <clears throat> put me in a similar situation and made me instantly, you know, feel uh, not just an empathy, but um, yeah, an active duty to actually do something about it. Mm. Mm. So it was a coalition of the dispossessed and marginalised. Yeah, absolutely. Very dangerous we were, coalition when you blokes get angry, <coughs> men and women. The the army of the rear in the army of in, the... in short pants. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's so. Um, once you were able to verbalise, did things change at school for you? Yeah, very much so. I mean, expressing myself through uh, you know theatrical stuff, singing dance and all that was excuse me? I, I think part of excuse me what helped me singing and dancing in primary school yep that's right didn't have that in my day okay what happened to the three r's this this is some postmodern garbage is it singing and dancing yes it was permitted in about 1985 i uh, believe yeah, it was yeah <laughs> and, and what drew you to that was, was there any music in the home or yeah we had a um a little organ in mm-hmm. the house and a songbook and I'd just sort of, you know, find a tune that I liked and spend a lot of hours, mm. you know, messing around with something like St. James Infirmary, you know, some kind of morbid, heavy tale so, that would yeah, just grab yeah. me and yeah, yeah. Uh, and fascinate me. So, yeah, and we were extremely lucky to have those options to, you know, be in plays and, and whatnot. And, yeah, it was a way of expressing yeah, myself. Did your brother share the same uh, joy of the organ? Um no, not quite. He, he he never really took to instruments a whole lot. He did no. sing in, in our punk band, which we mm. formed in our teen years. Uh, well, 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 we'll talk about that later on. We, we, we go, we're very strict here. We just go in mm. chronological. Mm. We go bang. Because, you know, our listeners are like me. Most of us are slow. Sure. And we just like to see the development of the human being. We're actually d- dissecting, yeah. all right? Mm. Oh, sorry, interviewing. That's the wrong word there, dissecting. Mm. So... So, Les, um, what do you think uh, attracted you to music at that early stage? Um, well, I think that it was another means of expressing um, an idea, a feeling. Mm-hmm. I think that it's something that's impossible to have an argument with. Mm-hmm. Um, and a good tune. Mm-hmm. You might disagree, Joe, but a, but a good tune, you know, um, carries an idea in a different way to a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, music for a lot of people um, that might express what's in their mind, it kind of gives them a sense that they're not alone necessarily, mm-hmm. that others feel a similar way, and that can be a great comfort mm-hmm. at different times. Or it could also be a means that you get exposed to whole new ideas that you've never thought of before. Mm. And what, what did your parents think of your, your interest in uh, music and dance and fit? Did they encourage it or did they just tolerate it? It was a bit of both. I mean, I did start out on drums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I know what that's like. So, you know. I know what that's like. Not only did they tolerate it, they actually allowed me to... Uh, go to the Vic Market every second weekend to collect egg cartons to paste all of our all over the bedroom walls. Oh, I think that is that, that, that yeah. is, I encourage and, that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. but the, there's always these What, you went from Williamstown to the Vic Market? 
Yeah. How'd yeah. you get that? Um, I don't know. I might have gone in and with mum or something. Mm-hmm. or you well, know. just went, went around all the shops and said, can I have your empty cartons? Yeah, if they had any spares. Yeah. Quite resourceful. You? Did they but, look at you? No, no. They oh. were willing to help, believe it or not. They were willing to help. In so, those um, oh. you know, uh, and what with, with the music, did you, share, though, did you share a room with your brother? Yeah, what did I think, think we shared a room probably a little bit too long, really. <laughs> what did he think about all this? You and the drums and the egg cartons in, in, the, in your joint bedroom. What's going well, on here? I think by that stage he was uh, on board as the lead singer in the band. <laughs> oh, right, you incorporated him he, into he, it. He had no yeah. problems. Yeah, no problems. Have you got any sisters? No, I don't. So I, just you and your yeah. brother? Yep, that's right. Right. So when did you finish primary school? Um, I finished primary school at the end of 1986. Mm-hmm. And how did you feel about finishing there? Um, I, th- I felt like I was ready for a, a big change. Uh-huh. Um, and by that stage, I was actually studying classical ballet. Excuse me. <laughs> 1986, you were studying classical ballet. It's not the done thing, you know, Leslie. You know, well, it's not the done thing. Uh, I think In those days. There was something that was kind of um, contrarian in my mm. attitude uh-huh. that if other boys were too embarrassed to wear tights, uh-huh. um, I would be happy to You'd do that. You'd relish wearing tights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. It's a bit of a worry, you know. So where, where did you do classical ballet? At the St Kilda or at the... Uh, um, at well, the my first there? year of um, high school was at the Victorian College of the Arts. Excuse me, how did you get into the co- College of the Arts from primary school? I mean, that's doesn't happen normally did you have some did you do some entrance exam or something there is a high school program at Uh the vca Uh and i did a entry um rehearsal so what did you do tell us what was the rehearsal they put you through your paces now what tell us exactly we know they put you through your paces obviously and you chosen did Uh, you sing dance i danced i was Uh i was in a room with maybe a hundred of other children Uh and um you know, being a boy actually put you at a massive advantage in that situation, really, well, because you know girls, you would have been outnumbered at least ten to one. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you know the guys that got in, got in uh, wasn't really saying a great deal about their skills. <laughs> um, You're not suggesting you were in that category. Well, what I remember actually from the VCA is that I could uh, keep rhythm, um, which was. Uh, a reassuring thing at the time. Uh-huh. So you actually went there every day. I did indeed, every and my day. and my thighs, you know, grew and grew, grew and grew. grew every day. And yeah, I was yeah. playing lacrosse at the same time, and I could lap the oval twice. I've always um, wanted to meet a lacrosse player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How long, how long did you play lacrosse for? A couple of years. When did you it's, start? It's a like a it's like a religion in Williamstown. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, I see the lacrosse thing there. I yeah. go past it and I look at it and I think. Yeah. Shake my head and say, well, tell yeah. us about it. Tell us about the lacrosse club. At I got roped Town. into playing lacrosse through a good friend. Well, uh, you had the advice for just, it, didn't you? Yeah, ju- <laughs> exactly. And I also had the, uh, I don't know, testosterone kind of teenage aggression thing going on. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, it's an extremely fast and furious game. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think my nickname at the time was the masochist or something. Because, masochist, you know, I like There was yeah. no holding back on the uh-huh. field. and. Uh-huh. I went from being a, a goalie to the centre. Right. So, uh, for our, our listeners' sake, tell us. Just give us 
60 seconds, what does it entail apart from bashing your opponent? So lacrosse is an Indigenous American game which involves a net on a, um, on a pole mm-hmm. and um, you throw a very small, hard ball uh, from one player to the next and scoring points. Um, so you've got, uh, if you imagine a soccer goal, mm-hmm. a lacrosse goal would be one quarter of that width. And you've got to get the ball in there. You do, yes. And, and when you pass the ball, you've got to pass it from net to net, do you? Got a little... Yep. So you can scoop it off the ground or you mm-hmm. can throw it a very long way and mm. catch it and so on. So how did, this, how did this Native American game get to Williamstown? I'd love it... to find out that story. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I think obviously there was a, a fanatical uh, you know, person that started that down that way and yeah. it's remained there. Yeah, there's, there's some strange sports in Williamstown. You got mm. what's the one in the shipyards where they throw the, oh. you know, what's that called? Um, oh, it's I not hurling. I know yeah. what you mean. Yeah, yeah, they throw, throw little. Watching. No, no. It Excuse me, Trugo. It's, it's called Trugo. Trugo. That's right. The, yeah. An Australian inve- the only Australian invented sport apart yeah. from AFL in the railway yards. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Lazy workers who had nothing to do in between trains, basically. That's what they used to say. They were fine shooting their motor skills, Joe. <laughs> That's right. That's the mm. good thing about you. I see the positives. So what was... Uh, are there any teachers that uh, stood out at VCA when you were there? Is it VCA? Victorian Con- yeah, VCA when you were there. Um, none that um, <laughs> I can honestly remember by name. Right. I remember, you know, because ballet is such a strict tradition Mm. um yeah you you had i I guess that um you know fairly uh uh, rigid uh, approach to to learning a lot of the time and yeah i think that that had its positives and negatives at the time but if you weren't a certain body shape as a male or as a woman then uh, you weren't really fit to continue at the vca at that (laughs) stage and i don't know if they've changed that but, um, yeah, my brother actually um, preceded me at the VCA by one year and was dismissed because he had, you know, too bulky, muscular a figure. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I had apparently the right shape at the time. Um, there's no, there's but, no need to um, denigrate yourself, Les. You still look good. Thank Don't you. worry, for our listeners' sake, there's a healthy young specimen in front yeah. of us. <laughs> I did have trouble with uh, my knee, though, which kind of put me out and... Mm. I, I realised that basically a life as a classical dancer is a life of injuries mm. and um, thought, hey, I could do something different. You're basically like a well-tuned racehorse. If you are, yeah, yeah The only difference is you don't get shot, you just get thrown out. True, yeah. true. Yeah. You know, then you're a thoroughbred, a thoroughbred of a dancing thoroughbred. So mm. how long did this dancing craze last for? Um, it finished for me at the end of my first year um, of because first of those injuries. So what did you do after that at VCA? Did they just tell you to go away or did you have other strings to um, your bow? I made the choice to uh, get along to Paisley High School mm-hmm. in Altona, right. which is a public high school that you know a number of my friends were going to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that was a completely different phase and there were completely different expectations at that right. school. So what were the expectations for a young man who, goes to, who used to go to Paisley in the 80s? Um, basically that you would never have an opportunity to go to university. Mm-hmm. I remember a uh, maths teacher laughing at me mm-hmm. when I said, oh, yeah, I'd like to get into Melbourne University. He said, ha, oh, ha, Les, come on, no kid from this school's ever gone there. <laughs> And um, 
I thought, uh. you know, well, you're a nasty piece of work. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, having a father who's a teacher um, and, uh, you know, somebody who was a voracious reader who actually opened up the world of ideas to me was willing to talk about ideas, argue furiously about <laughs> ideas, mm. um, sometimes with violent consequences, mm. then, you know, I think that gave me a, a, a broader perspective, I think. Um, right. so taught, taught you how to duck. Yeah, exactly. I could run real Intellectually fast. and physically. Intellectually and... Hey, yeah. hey yeah. this is not unusual in that mm. period. Not mm. unusual. People look at you and they think, you know, it wasn't mm. unusual. Mm. So, so when did you finish high school? Um, actually finished high school in 93 and I had a delay or actually repeated year 12 mm -hmm. because um, I went through a psychosis at the age of 17, manic depression. Do you want to talk about that? I'm happy to talk about it, yeah. How did it manifest itself initially? Did you have any awareness that things were going wrong in your life or did other people point things out to you? Um, well, yeah, I was aware of dramatic uh, things that were going on. Um, I remember that I was reading William S. Burroughs' uh, City of Red Lights trilogy, mm -hmm. um, and I remember coming down with um, a serious dose of a rash called urticaria, mm -hmm. which you would know of, mm. which is a rash that's triggered by you know, uh, possibly stress or an allergic response combined um, so this gives you welts all over your body. And um, I was given steroids as a treatment, which basically sent me into a depression. So some people have that predisposition when exposed to uh, steroid treatment. And I remember that I'd planned, you know, because like my my dad's like an outdoor kind of person, mm -hmm. you know, fishing, hunting, skiing. Mm -hmm. Yep whatever so i'd grown up doing all these activities and uh I, i'd said earlier in the year i'd love to you know go skiing you know because i hadn't done it for a long long time mm. and then when the time came to go and get on the bus i said i can't go because i know if i do i'll throw myself off the side of a mountain um and that's when you know we booked the uh sessions with a shrink and so on and uh so this is a private psychiatrist you went through the private stream yeah we did and then yeah but that sort of continued i was put on a different form of medication mm -hmm. tofranol yes. which is a uh, kind of a um upper mm. and then yeah i became manic and um i spent two and a half weeks in the royal park hospital right and what was that like Do you have any recollection of that period oh yes i couldn't forget that mm. um because yeah, it was any, so any, high. Anything, anything you want to share, or well, I remember you don't have to. You don't have to answer my questions. You know, if you don't well, want to. Well, I, I think that you know the stigma around mental illness is unacceptable, really. Well, and, and you talking about it actually breaks, as you know, yeah. breaks the stigma. So, so I think uh, mm. you know that there are things about that that are exceedingly painful, but there are things that I can laugh at about it. Like, tell us something. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember walking into uh, the. Uh, psych hospital at royal park and um a short woman in a white coat um said to me uh, oh doctor no the toilet's that way <laughs> so i was a 17 year old yes but i was so pumped up yeah yeah 
yeah. being hypermanic, yeah. she mistook me for, for the a, doctor. A psych doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. I feel as if I'm being interrogated now the way you're looking at me. You know? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You're looking into my soul. <laughs> oh, no. The trouble is there's no, none there to look at. Oh, so. hardly. <laughs> he says that. So when you went back to school, mm. when you repeated year 12, uh, was there any uh, stigma attached to you going back? Did people know that you had a psychiatric breakdown, a psychosis? Yeah, I think that I've always had an attitude that there's no point in hiding these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are, were other people that I considered to be braver than me who were openly talking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, it can literally happen to pretty much anyone. So, yeah, I think what, what I learned through my uh, mental illness was humility in a big way. Mm-hmm. And, and you actually... It, it takes you down a number of notches because you do think when you're younger that you're invincible and you can do anything. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I think that that actually made me understand who the hell I am a lot better. Mm. Did you finish VCE? I did. And uh, what was the score like? Could you get into, did you get into Melbourne University? No, I'd actually switched schools to Footscray City and uh-huh. I met all kinds of rat bags like Michael Hyde and uh-huh. so on. and. Uh-huh. And others there, and uh, you dropped I, out after year twelve. <clears throat> I didn't drop out. I um, I, I completed my year twelve. Mm-hmm. I actually sat my first lot of exams in the psych ward, mm-hmm. um, and I got a pass, but it wasn't enough to, to right. do a whole lot with because I was very sick. Mm-hmm. But the next year, I went back. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I put it, I put in, and there are subjects where I naturally did pretty well. English was one of those. Mm-hmm. Um, anything art-related uh, and so on, photography. So I got into photojournalism um, at Latrobe Bendigo, mm-hmm. which was, yeah, further from home than I think I probably wanted to be, especially when I was uh, lodged with a Christian fundamentalist family mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. froze their food two weeks ahead. Now, that's all right. That's not unusual. Look, it's 4.32. This is Radical Australia. On Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The Empress, a.k.a. Liquor Snatch, a.k.a. Dale Bridge, is pushing all the buttons and doing all the things to keep us on air. She'll occasionally laugh or ask a question if I get a bit too rough. Our exceedingly humorous guest is Mr Les Thomas, musician extraordinaire, but we'll go into that later on. So what do you got against frozen food? There's nothing wrong with Christian fundamentalism. I assume it's the frozen food you couldn't couldn't handle. I think um, I had difficulties on both levels, Joe. Both levels, yeah. Um, but how did you get bored of this crew? What happened? Sheer bad luck is one sheer part bad of it. Luck. Well, um, you answered it out in the paper. Yeah. <laughs> Just never leave your your college lodgings to your parents, people out there. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, I didn't want you. Um, to... But. Like, by the time I hit university, yeah. I was ready, basically, to join the revolution and yeah. uh-huh. be active and, you know, uh-huh. uh, I remember, you know, one of the opening bands um, during the O-Week was um, Weddings, Parties, Anything, and, uh-huh. uh, you know, all the kids getting up on stage, and, like, it, it was a very different atmosphere, I would say, to, yeah, what you might expect at an O-Week now. Um, and, but still it was Bendigo uh, and I, I ended up having a car accident just a month or two into my studies there, which kind of put my whole, um, situation in jeopardy and meant 
well, I was playing in a band with friends back in Melbourne, uh, had no means of transport other than catching the train. I was living in this place that I absolutely loathed. You and realize, also I had... You realise God ha- made you have that accident so you could escape? God hates you. No, he, God loves you because she hmm. made you have the accident so you could escape from your Christian fundamentalist bondage. Well, that was a very thoughtful act on that day. I don't know about all the other acts on that day, but that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. So... So you escaped, you came back to Melbourne, did you? Yeah, I did. And I also remember one of of the main things that put me off about Bendigo is I had a uh, history teacher who was taking us through the uh, French Revolution who was an outright monarchist fruitcake. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I can't handle that. Right. So is this when you formed the punk band with your brother, is it? No, the the band had been going for a number of years. Mm. Were you actually playing gigs or were you like Licker Snatch, you know? No, no, we were... (laughs) <laughs> Come on, we were playing. Uh, we were playing gigs. Like we were playing gigs from um, year nine in high school. Right. And um, you know, uh, the art house was you know the heart of punk rock in Melbourne and and so on. And playing there fairly regularly as the lobotomy scars. Lobotomy scars. Oh, That's okay. right. Yeah. Out of fashion lobotomies. Although they're coming back slowly. Yep. <laughs> Very rather, slowly, rather, but they're coming rather back. Rather a bottle in front of me, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dale, can I ask you a question? See, si. Did you come across the, the lobotomy scars? I'm in? not from Melbourne, Joe. I know I'm, that, I know I'm that. Sure, um, I'm sure that uh, Melbourne punks would remember because the art house is one of those places that everyone has... Well, what they can remember, the memories mm. are fond. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so you come back to Melbourne... Mm. You've still got your band going. Yes. And what do you do? How old are you, 20, 18, 19? Um, yeah, I think I was 19. Mm. And, uh, you know, the first thing I had to do was actually get a get a job. Excuse me? The J word. Yes, that's right. Um, and I remember being... This is around about not, not long after the recession. Mm. And... I think I had this incredible fear about being unemployed for a really, really long time. And uh, I felt a need to do something. And I think that, you know, having that really unstable number of years meant that I, I needed to get onto something quickly. And um, did you I took a did... job as a furniture polishing apprentice, uh-huh, uh-huh. which I saw out. And... Yep. I thought for a minute you were going to say you, you answered the ASIO ad. <laughs> They weren't advertising publicly back then. <laughs> no, they just memory. tapped you on the shoulder. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, what, was this French polishing or just ordinary French yep. polishing? Tell us about French Not, polishing. It wasn't actually French polishing. <laughs> no. It had to be far more prestigious and yes, pleasant. Exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was using spray gun, spray guns, and heavy chemicals like uh-huh. you know acetone and whatnot. And, and you um, weren't wearing a mask, I assume. No, we got to masks. We did. <laughs> you got but, a um <laughs> Yeah, that that was. I mean, I, I learned all aspects of that trade through going to school and whatnot. Mm, mm. And I remember my dad saying, "You'll never last in this trade," you know. Positive chat. Hey, you, oh, that's you're just it. gonna you're just gonna quit on this. And I said, "Screw you! I'm gonna do it." <laughs> so did you finish your so, apprenticeship? Yeah, I had to. I mean, there was no that, that kind of. Challenge was a yeah. red rag. Yeah, but how and, many years did it take? I ended up working in the industry for seven years. 
Well, your father, so, you realise your father's a bit smarter than you think he is. Maybe he actually threw that red rag so you would stay. I'm sure he did. Yeah, He's sure cunning he did as too. hell. Yeah, being a parent myself, that's the type of thing you tell rebellious teenage kids. Yeah. You'll never do that. The thing yes. is, it can go either way. Mm. You know, you don't know when you say it if it's going to basically demoralise and turn mm. people off or, or make them tougher. And, yeah, I think that my... My dad's idea of parenting was largely to toughen me up for a mm. brutal world. Mm. And he had lost his father at age 17 to suicide because he was a war returnee mm-hmm. who carried a number of uh, uh, sh- uh, slugs in his back from a strafing run in Palestine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that that family trauma um, was a big part of, you know, how how... Uh, being a man in my family um, was viewed. So you lasted seven years. So you're yes. 27. No, no, it's 26 when you finished then. Yes. 26. Why did you move on? Well, by that stage, I'd become a um, uh, union um, rep. And. You become a union rep? Yeah, in my factory. Where a I was union working. rep? Sorry, shop steward, mate. That's better. What, what, so, what union? <laughs> you're going to laugh. Well, you tell me. It was in the furnishing. Well, not the old furnishing trades and Sadly, liquor and it whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, yeah, my good old mate Dennis Evans can tell you all about the furnishing trades. He has. He's been in the studio. We've, yep. we've dissected Dennis. So, yeah, bad things happened with the secretary while I was there, running away with a large... Um, amount of members money and so on but yeah I had by this stage become more involved as an activist um, through the left and so on anti-racism trade union you know the Jabaluka campaign and all that sort of stuff so So how did you get involved in all this I mean here you are you're in the furnishing union one of the most uh, conservative unions in in the world, I remember the bloke in Queen. I've forgotten his name. The bloke in Queensland who Bjorki Peterson appointed. The, he was the secretary of the uh, <laughs> union yes. as a senator. Yes, I've forgotten his name. And here you are. How did you get involved in all these radical types? What happened? Well, I guess I was exposed to radical ideas from you know age thirteen, and listening to a lot of the more left wing punk bands and whatnot, but also you know. I suppose, tuning in to uh, what was going on, listening to community radio in Melbourne and being exposed to discussions and ideas. Community radio? Well, yeah. You didn't listen to 3CR as a young man? Um, Well, I'd flick onto 3CR a fair bit in my late teens, Uh I think. I listened to Triple R from age 13 or so. Uh Uh So I was always aware of, like, the importance of independent radio. That's why we need to close it down. Because we, we're producing people like you who That's are thinking right. and making decisions and acting on them. Well, this is not good. Yes. I mean, community radios, it's the devil's instrument. You could take that view, Joe. I take the opposite view. Do you? What's your view? Well, yeah. I think I've been extremely lucky to, uh, to have like a network of organisations and institutions in this part of the world. Mm. And. You know, what it meant to me growing up is that there are uh, genuine alternatives and, you know, being a uh, a shop steward in a union doesn't mean you absorb the consciousness of that uh, institution. I think, you know, I was uh, well aware 
that um, just because something is called a union, it doesn't necessarily represent its best traditions. And mm. I suppose I've always uh, sympathised strongly with, uh, you know, the Joe Hill kind of concept of what is a trade union and that being an organisation driven by rank and file. Um, and, you know, I've always been sceptical of unions as a service. Mm-hmm. So how did you earn a crust once you left the furnishing trade? Um, I actually went back to full-time study in writing and editing uh, at St Albans with uh, Ian Sison and, um, and others out that way. And uh, I was doing um, furniture removals on the side uh-huh. to help support myself. And um, I married at uh, age 28, mm-hmm. um, my first marriage. And, yeah, I, I ended up going from doing the TAFE professional writing to finishing university and then being enlisted to become a tutor and then lecturer at VicUni. A lecturer mm. at VicUni? You were a lecturer at Vic Uni? Yes. Now? Not now, no. What were you lecturing? Uh, editing mm-hmm. and design subjects. So you think editing is a skill? Can be learnt or is it inherent in somebody? I think you need to be exposed to millions of words, obviously. Mm. Well, but, which, uh, which you were. Yeah. And, and also, I think that it's... Um, yeah, they're, they're, if people are dedicated and willing, they can learn... Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, it's not innate to us. All of these things are picked up somehow. Somehow, right? And what's happened? To, what happened to your music career then? Did you continue with the punk band, or did you move into other areas? No, I'd kind of reached a point with the band where it was becoming increasingly metal orientated, mm-hmm. and um, not really where my heart was. And I think my heart has always really been with, you know, punk music to me is very similar to what folk music was at one stage because it's about communicating ideas directly and honestly um and i think you know the metal world there's a lot more um of a masculine kind of hiding behind a big sound going on whereas surface as opposed to substance yeah i mean i'm not saying that yeah there, there aren't there isn't metal that i really like because i do like um, a lot of metal, but I think, you know, there are people like Rob Halford in Judas Priest, for example, who is out and proud and defies a lot of these assumptions about what it is to be a, a metal man or whatever. But, yeah, I think, yeah, f- f- the folk music, punk music, roots music like reggae, which had um, a social function in addressing injustice, were things that, you know, made me sit up and listen so, so what in a different way. What direction did you take personally as um, far as your music is concerned? I actually uh, went through a time of recording um, at home using loops and uh, vocal recording and, and whatnot. So it, it, I suppose, you know, dance hall uh, or other reggae and, uh, and whatnot had a big influence on me doing that for a while. Mm. But um, I suppose also if you're playing in a band and you don't feel like that band is presenting something that's necessarily different or offering something that nobody else is, it's kind of hard to see the point after a while. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think a lot of my motivation is trying to actually 
offer something that I don't hear others doing. Hmm. You said your your first marriage failed. Um, have you got any children? I do. I have a, a wonderful 11-year-old son hmm. from my first marriage, and right. I have no regrets whatsoever. Hmm. Do, you, do you get on with him? Do you see him? Or? I sure do. We're That's very good. close. That's yeah. good. That's good. So you learned from your father what not to do. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, it's a bit of a, yeah, again, there are things that <clears throat> you actually, yeah, the classic is you, you come out with their lines and, hmm. you know, my my parents, being of that generation, had phrases like, what do you think this is, Bush Week? And That's how I remember that one, yeah. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> Don't say Bush Week? What's Bush Week? One of, one <laughs> of the luxuries of being a parent is dragging that stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But, yeah, I don't drag out the whip. You don't drag out I'll the whip. I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Bush Week, Bush Week is a whip. Has is your son ever asked you, what's this Bush Week garbage, Dad? <laughs> no? I just like to keep him guessing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's the traits have been handed down from father to son. <laughs> so I'm a bit worried. So what type of... Uh, you're heavily into music now. Is that your main occupation now? Um, well... It's my main creative focus. I do work a day job as a book designer. Book, what's a book well. designer? So I design covers and I typeset or design the typesetting for books. Right. And uh, is that it's, that sounds quite satisfying because obviously a good book design sells a book, doesn't it? It does help, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and I work for an academic press right. and a lot of them are becoming more trade-orientated, trying yeah. to get, you know, mm their titles into bookshops and we have five of them face out at readings this week which is a good sign so mm. so the days of putting the stethoscope on the medical book have gone have they? it's a little bit more esoteric yeah. is it well i i can't say i ever worked for an extended period in the editing trade because yeah although i have a good understanding of it mm. um yeah i think that i would have to carve out a large chunk of my brain but you know <laughs> play, playing music is um you know both to to be a designer and a musician um yeah i feel really you know amazingly lucky to be paid to do those things so you get paid yes. for playing music yes i do you're exceptionally talented then oh well you have to be to be paid these days yeah there's just so many musicians everywhere so where do you, where do you play say that again where do you play these days if somebody um, wants to catch up with you where would they go to see you? Um, well, last Sunday I was playing at the Wesleyan in Northcote and mm -hmm. I play a lot of venues around Melbourne or interstate. Do you have a website people can look at and see where you're travelling? Yes, uh, Les Thomas. That's it. Music.com is my website. Not Les Thomas One Music.com. There's no. just one Les Thomas Music.com. That's, that's the website. And oh, I you also must have had that for Facebook about 30 page. years, have you? Quite possibly, yeah. But um, yeah. A Facebook page. I'm all over that sort of thing. You have to be. But um, yeah, it, it's a bit of a case of uh, yeah, it's all on social media, and you can find me very easily. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I play, I suppose, in a lot of different situations. So, you know, Sunday also I played at the World Refugee Day rally, and. You know, just being asked to play at an event like that is a pretty special honour, I reckon. Mm. I mean, mm. yeah, and you, you're there because, yeah, you're a part of that um, tradition. And obviously you are 
your song is uh, the Tanaminuwe Mulboy Hina song has become an, almost an anthem these days. Well, I would hope so. It mm. hasn't even been officially released as a recording. I but, know, you you've, know. You were at the, you've sung at the commemorations. It has yeah. been released, rubber stamped, okay. hugged, and accepted. Well, yeah, I, I'm yeah very happy with um, the response from Palawim down in Cape Barren Island, Uncle mm-hmm. Jim Everett and and uh, Ronnie Summers and others who've heard the song and uh, you know their responses are, are kind of you know, what you're listening out for, and I've had nothing but great things. So. Mm. Now, somebody mentioned to me, not that I listen to you, Liz, nothing personal, I just no, don't no. listen to music. It's I not just no you. I've never listened to uh, Dale and Lick Snatch or, you know, your, your thing. But uh, how long do you think you'll last in this business? Um, I'll still be playing as long as I'm going, I reckon. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I think with heroes like Pete Seeger, why wouldn't you just keep on putting it out there? Because it's mm. one of the things that makes you kind of get up every day. Mm. And um, there's nothing to lose by doing it. Um, I think, you know, it is a means, it is a language that once you learn, you don't forget it. And I think, you know, part of the fun is really... You know, with every time you record or every show you play, you learn something, and um, that's in- incredibly rewarding. Like, it, it, the way that people think about music, I think, is really problematic with, you know, singing competitions on TV and everything else. But I think, yeah, a- as a means of connecting people, you can see uh, at events that, you know, this is still a very significant thing in people's lives. And it's one of the ways that we actually share uh, our feelings and thoughts that mm-hmm. yeah, is critical. Do you see yourself as one of those old-fashioned radical troubadours who used to go <laughs> from village to village, you know, singing for their supper? Um, well, yeah, I, I don't think... Yeah, th- there is a unbroken line, I think, of what people were doing in those early times and now. And I think that, obviously, we're in very different... Uh, material conditions and whatnot, which is probably for the best for the most part. But yeah, the means to communicate now is quite incredible. Mm. You know, you can send a file. I did a song about Guantanamo earlier in the year, which, you know, my understanding is it's been played in the Guantanamo Bay facility t- to the people there mm-hmm. um, because you can do that mm. and you don't have to just be face to face on a picket line in the rain mm-hmm. not that that's you, you should do that too um, I think because it's all part of what being a musician is and mm. occasionally I see musicians who say screw this I'm out of the game kind of thing <laughs> and you kind of think okay well you know that's really sad but mm-hmm. it's the commercial pressure that pushes people to that but if you can say you know I may or may not get any kind of financial return out of what I'm doing. Mm. If I have the opportunity to express an idea or to preserve a piece of history in a song, why the hell wouldn't you do it? Mm. Mm. Have you had any um, more issues with psychosis since you were a young man? No, touch wood. I've been extremely lucky. I mean, most people who go through that sort of thing do have um, recurrences, Mm. but... Being aware of um, 
you know, steroids as a trigger for depression has meant that I've avoided them ever since. Mm-hmm. So you only use ice these days. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. An ice pack, Joe. Exactly. An, An ice, ice pack. pack for the headache. So, well, um, what, I don't know what you were thinking when I said that. Indeed. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so uh, uh, I think, yeah, having been through a, a mental illness, you know that you can go there. So it's a matter of... You know, if I subjected myself to uh, smoking a lot of pot, for example, I reckon I'd wind up there pretty quick, really. Yep. Mm-hmm. But it's just the way that I'm wired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's something people need to understand, that uh, you don't have to be have a, a genetic psychotic issue to have a psychosis. There are a lot mm. of drug-induced psychosis, and some of them mm. are legal and some of them are illegal. Mm-hmm. And it does have a significant impact. I mean, mm. with marijuana these days, it's... Uh, LSD, sorry, for LSD, you know, a lot of LSD sits around in the fat around your brain and it can be released at later stages. Yep. So there are, there, are, there are prices to pay. But get, getting back to your life, what are your plans for the future? Um, so the plans for the future are to, well, in, in this year, uh, get out a video to help get the story of Tunnamil and Wait and Mulbohanna out there. Mm-hmm. And who are you working with there? So um, Johnny Harding mm-hmm. and uh, Daniel King, mm-hmm. uh, young Indigenous filmmaker, has been helping with that. And, um, yeah, I've also been helping out a fair bit on the SOS Black Australia front. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, part of my family history that had been hidden for generations is our Indigenous family connection, mm-hmm. which goes back up to the Yarra country. And, uh-huh. you know, my, my grandmother... Uh, died with the sort of boxes stowed away in the in the uh, back um, <coughs> granny flat of of her grandmother who was born up in uh, the hills on the Yarra around St Andrews. So yeah, I've been piecing together my own Indigenous family history. Mm. How hard um, is that finding? Well. <sighs> Google is incredibly powerful, it would seem, in turning up history because I, uh, I simply typed in my um, second great-grandmother's name and uh, turned up trove articles talking about a rape case um, where uh, yeah, she was sexually assaulted in Diamond Creek mm-hmm. you know, as a 19-year-old. And um, there's documents, of her words, reproduced in these newspaper, newspaper articles online Mm. Uh, talking about you know this young fella pretending to be Dan Kelly and mm-hmm. and stuff and her you know assaulting her then her chasing after him and so yeah the history is preserved in these amazing ways and you've got other things like ancestry dot com where I've connected you know the dots because once you look up one branch of the family tree all the other family members say hey hey check out that other branch you that's know? right as, but, long, um, as, long yeah. as, you, as long as you register yeah mm. but yeah. I've always basically, uh, you know, I, I was I was raised being told, oh, yeah, no, our family came from Mauritius. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. So, yes. yeah, that, that sort of stuff is really, really common. It is, yeah. But it, it had to be. I, I think that, you know, part of it has informed my consciousness about, mm. you know, race and class. That's right. And yeah. Um, yeah. basically identifying with the oppressed. It always does. Well, Liz Thomas commonly known as Leslie Thomas. Go to his webs page, go to the Facebook page, follow the man. He's got a story to tell. 
It's been a pleasure talking to you. Hopefully we weren't too rude. Well, I don't really apologise for that. We need no. to make it interesting. I enjoy it. <laughs> well, I won't go down that path. What's, um, what's that uh, Alwood line? Humiliation. Isn't that the story? Of, it's the story of my life. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Les, and uh, thank you for coming on to Radical Australia. Thank you so much. And uh, I'd just like to quickly say before we leave, uh, sort of along the same lines uh, of how effective music can be, uh, there's a punk gig on this weekend, Punks for West Papua, and it's a national gig that's happening in every capital city simultaneously this Saturday, and Liquor Snatch will be playing uh, at uh, the Brunswick Hotel for the Punks for West Papua. There's about seven bands playing, free entry, and just come and donate, and all the money goes to the uh, West Papua Independence Movement, so that's at three o'clock at the Brunswick Hotel this Saturday. Thank you, Young Dale. And Liz, would you like to tell us where you next will be? Where people oh, I wish I could. Unfortunately, there aren't uh, isn't uh-huh. any gigs lined up. But right. um, do check out my Facebook page. Um, if you just look up Les Thomas on the internet, you'll find all of the uh, social media and websites and whatnot. But thanks for having me in, and thank you, 3CR. Thank you, Les.